Let's hold them up or your electronic device with your Bible. I'm a child of God. I have in my hand powerful Word of God. It can change lives, heal broken hearts, and save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me in Jesus' name. Amen. Now look at your neighbor and just let them know that you love them. Any of you heard the phrase or used the phrase, when the cat's away, the mice will play? Some of you said, never, you've never heard that, as you chuckled. That was one of those phrases that we'd use a lot if we thought we were going to get away with something, right? Well, the children of Israel in the 13th chapter of Nehemiah, where we'll be today, thought they were going to get away with something. If you thought the 13th chapter was going to bring some good news, it's going to be a great way to end the, the book of Nehemiah, our study of Nehemiah. Well, they should have quit at the end of chapter 12 when they were celebrating and dedicating. But they rolled into chapter 13. You ever heard the phrase, backslider? I'm a backslidden Christian. What's that mean? It means that you've slid back into some old ways that aren't good. Well, guess what? This wonderful nation of Israel, they'd seen a miracle move of God. Fifty-two days had rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. They'd done it against tremendous adversity. They'd done it, the the, the supplies were provided by somebody outside the, the brotherhood, outside the fellowship. It was an amazing, miraculous thing that had happened in front of them. Amen? Only to watch the deterioration so quickly. Let's start at verse 1. On that day the book of Moses was read aloud in the hearing of the people. And there it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be admitted into the assembly of God because they had not met the Israelites with food and water, but had hired Balaam to call a curse down on them. And when the people heard this law, they excluded from Israel all who were of foreign descent. I didn't know that vetting was taking place all the way back in the time of Nehemiah. Israel was vetting people outside the Jewish faith. Could it be? Could it be that the Moabites and the Ammonites were bad people? Well, we should just take them in, shouldn't we? Chapter 10, the Israelites, if you'll remember, after rededicating their lives, they took a vow that they would not intermarry with members of other races. They bound themselves with a curse and an oath to obey the commands of the law of God. And yet here we are, ten years later, and that covenant has already been broken. The Ammonites and the Moabites were found to be among those in Israel. You see, when the Israelites left Egypt to come to the edge of the Promised Land, they came into the country of the Ammonites and the Moabites. And again, those people called Balaam forward as a prophet to bring a curse on them. And you might remember the story of Balaam. Balaam is the guy who's very famous for being rebuked by a donkey. 
when he was trying to hide a ride to the hilltop to curse the people, as they had hired him to do, the donkey saw an angel of the Lord standing in the pathway, and the beast refused to go past the angel. And so the prophet beat him three different times. And finally, God gave voice to the donkey, and he says, Why are you beating me? And then the Lord opened the prophet's eyes, and he saw the angel. It's probably humiliating to be scolded by a donkey, don't you think? But there's a great lesson for us. Because oftentimes, hidden reasons why God is acting the way He does, sometimes we don't see. God will hide those from us. He wants us to operate by faith and trust in wherever we're going at that moment. But it's not always easy. It's not always easy. And we've got to be very careful not to violate the reasons God has for us going through what we're going through at that time so that we don't mess up what He's trying to accomplish on the backside. Don't rush it. Walk through it. Every step of the way, He'll be there with you. Amen? Every step of the way, He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. That's what He said. Well, God, where are you? Remember the, the, the poem of Footprints in the Sand? You guys said, well, God, you abandoned me. All I saw was one set of footprints. Oh, my son, I was carrying you at those times. You see. So don't misjudge God for what He's doing that it might even be unfair because He's trying to take us into a deeper connection with Him. When we go through adversity, on the backside of adversity, we're in a deeper relationship with Him. Every time. Every time. The deeper the conflict... The more severe the conflict, the deeper the relationship. Have you discovered that? If you haven't, wake up. Wake up. He keeps taking me through stuff and I keep asking him, God, haven't I been through this before? And I keep hearing from him saying, yeah, you didn't learn then either. <clears throat> so if he can use a donkey to preach, maybe he can use me. Thirty years before this, in chapter 9, in the book of Ezra... There's an account of a similar situation that we see here in Nehemiah's day. Ezra had led a group back from Babylon to Jerusalem. He discovered that the people were intermarrying with their neighboring tribes, which was contrary to the law of Moses. In Ezra 9, it says, After these things had been done, the leaders came to me, Ezra, and said, The people of Israel, including the priests and the Levites, have not kept themselves separate from the neighboring peoples with their detestable practices, like those of the Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Ammonites, Moabites, Egyptians, and Amorites. They've taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves, and their sons have mingled the holy race with the peoples around them, and the leaders and officials have led the way in this unfaithfulness. So the leaders of Israel were leading the way in this intermarrying, this going outside the Israeli race to marry when God had forbid them to do that. And it caused great distress to Ezra. If you're in chapter 9, you jump down to verse 10. It says, By now, our God, what can we say after this? For we have disregarded the commands you gave through your servants and prophets when you said, The land you are entering to possess is a land polluted by the corruption of its peoples. By their detestable practices, they have filled it with their impurity from one end to the other. 
Therefore do not give your daughters in marriage to their sons or take their daughters for your sons. Do not further their welfare or prosperity at any time that you may be strong and eat the good things of the land and leave it to your children as an everlasting inheritance. (coughs) The Ammonites and the Moabites practiced degrading lifestyles. Do you know anybody that you would prefer not to have your children associate with? Because they have detestable lifestyles? That's the first thing, kids. Isn't that the first thing that your parents want to know? Is who are these people? What do I know about them? What do we know about them? It's like an interrogation, isn't it? Especially if it's... Usually if it's a girl dating a guy, she dates the guy that she knows that her dad is not going to like because I don't know why they think that way. But they do. Well, Dad, you just have to accept him. And Dad says, I don't think so. I can kill him today as well as I can kill him tomorrow. You see, parents are very protective of their children, aren't they? There's certain people that they don't want you hanging around. Period. Spring break just happened. If you've ever watched any videos of what goes on at spring break on some of these uh, coastlines, I've seen all kind. you know, the last few I've looked at, I've seen people, they were carrying Bibles. They, were, they had little tents fixed up for chapels. People were leading them in uh, to the call of Christ and taking them right out into the water to baptize them into Jesus. Liar, liar, liar. Pants on fire. I don't think God was anywhere close to any of those beaches. I saw a lot of spirit, but it was evil spirit. Evil spirit. Little girl got arrested. Read this article. A little girl got arrested down in Florida for underage drinking. Scared her to death. Her mother wrote a thank you letter to the police department thanking them for arresting her and opening her eyes. Boy, that was, that was a change of pace, wasn't it? Instead of, I'm going to sue you for hurting my daughter. Thank you for getting her off the street. That's what they should be thanking. Amen? But you know, Apostle Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 10, 11. All these things happened to Israel as examples for us upon whom the ends of the ages have come. We need to understand that all the things that we're reading about in Nehemiah, all the things that Ezra talked about, all the things that we're pointing to here today, all are set up so that we can learn in the New Testament what not to do. You see, I can watch you by example and learn what not to do or what to do based on what I see you do. The dad that says, don't smoke, just because I smoke, don't, you don't smoke. Well, don't do as I say do, do as I do. So dad, stop smoking. If you think it's bad, stop. Well, it's not, it's not that bad for me. Well, but what about that kid? Well, I just drink a beer every now and then. Well, that kid may not can stop at one. You see what I'm saying? Set the example and the right kind of example. The Ammonites and the Moabites. Where did they come from? It's kind of interesting how they 
how they uh, ended up uh, being created. It's during Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember that story? And Lot and his wife had two daughters, and they, they shipped out. What did Lot's wife do? Turned around, became a pillar of salt. God said, don't do that. Well, she turned around and looked, and what she do? Turned to a pillar of salt. You mean God really means what He says? Mm-hmm, he really means what He says. So Lot takes his two daughters, and they, they get away. They feel like they're the only two females left in the whole world at that point. So they tricked their dad, and they laid with him sexually. And they bore sons. One was named Ammon, and the other, Moab. They became eternal enemies of Israel. We all have relatives like that. They show up at at, at reunions. They're troublesome. They're obnoxious. Hard to live with. Nobody wants to do anything with them. You hate it. You cringe when they start walking towards you. Ammon and Moab were that way with respect to Israel. They were constantly harassing Israel, trying to undermine them. They were forever trying to corrupt them, pollute them, and destroy them. But Israel was forbidden to wipe them out because they were related to Israel. The New Testament tells us that we have an enemy like that. It's called the flesh. I got up this morning and I looked in the mirror and I found the problem for my sin. You want to know what it was? Me. <laughs> I saw it. He was staring back at me in that mirror. That's the problem I have with sin is me. Because I haven't learned yet to control my flesh in every area of my life. How about you? You on top of it all? Can I see the show of hands? Everybody's on top of it? All right, good. I'm in good company then this morning. You see, the problem with me is that I want to be king. I want to be Lord. I want to be served. I want to be ministered to. I want to regulate everything. I want to run the world. I want it all to function for me and to flow around me and to be what I need it to be. Amen? Yet, yet, the New Testament calls me to live above that in victory while I'm struggling with it. We can still live in victory while we struggle. We can. We can. Just ask Oregon. Man, they got the brightest colored uniforms I've ever seen on a basketball floor. That's hard to play against them because your eyes are going crazy. Beat Kansas by one point. Is that right? Did I hear that right? By 11? Ooh, somebody told me to beat them by one. I thought, man, 11. How about the glory to God? Hey, you don't mess around on, in the playoffs, boy. You can, you can go down real fast. Wasn't it Villanova that went out early? They won it last year. Got beat by one point. Because they showed up and they're supposed to win. That's what happens to Jinx and Union sometimes. They show up and just think they're supposed to win just because they showed up. Edmund, Edmund uh, Memorial, I think, was beating them in baseball last night when I was watching a little of that on TV. Man, it's cold playing baseball, isn't it? I've been nuts playing baseball last night. 
Let's go back to our Nehemiah text 13. Let's pick up verse 4. Before this, Elisha, the priest, had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of God. I'm going to show you what happened now and what, what the problem with intermarrying happened or what happened to him. He closely associated with Tobiah. Uh, that's one of the Ammonites who, who was the enemy, you know, the enemy of Nehemiah. And he, had, uh, and he had provided him with a large room formerly used to store the grain offerings and incense and the temple articles and also the tithes of grain, new wine, and oil prescribed for the Levites, singers, and gatekeepers, as well as the contributions of the, for the priests. But while all this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem. For in, 30, uh, in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Sometime later, I asked his permission and came back to Jerusalem. And here I learned about the evil thing Elisha had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. I was greatly displeased and threw all Tobiah's household goods out of the room. I gave uh, orders to purify the rooms, and then I put back into them the equipment of the house of God with the grain offerings and the incense. So in other words, the high priest had allowed the grandson, his grandson, to marry into this Ammonite family. And the daughter that he married was the daughter of Sanballat, the guy that was after Nehemiah early on. And Tobiah the Ammonite was the other one after uh, Nehemiah early on. And they were bitter enemies of Nehemiah. And so this alliance led to this invitation to Tobiah to actually move into the temple and live there. And take over the place that the priests would use to store the, work, the, the things that they then came in and did their work with. You see the abomination? That's like you coming to church today and somebody's got their bedroom pitched up here in the front. And they're not fully dressed. And you're wondering, what you doing in my church house? And they say, well, preacher said we could live here. Well, I'm not going to be your preacher much longer after that, I imagine. But they put him in. They put Tobias in the temple. Two wrongs done here, by the way. An Ammonite family... An Ammonite and his family were actually living in the temple contrary to the law of God and the law of Moses. And secondly, in order to permit that, they had to deliberately defraud the Levites of their rights of storage. They were deliberate in what they had done. You see it? And when Nehemiah returned, he went into prompt action. He cleaned it up. Today, we don't get upset at the presence of evil. We think it's strange that a man should act like Nehemiah did. If I had a daughter and I was at Target for some unforeseen reason why I would go into Target anymore, but I'd go into Target and my daughter said she had to go to the bathroom, do you think I'm going to stand at the door? Absolutely, I'm going to stand at the door. And I'm going to tell her, if you go in and you see a man in there, come back out or scream, and I'll come in. read an article this morning about a lady who went to Disneyland, and she was a liberal-minded lady. She went to Disneyland. She was all for these transgendered and all for these, you know, use the bathroom of your gender that you identify with and all that. Well, she's at Disneyland. I mean Disney World. There's 20, 25 women in this bathroom. And in comes a man. Burly, hairy, ugly looking man. And she said he just stood there. She was waiting her turn to get into a stall. 
And once she got into the stall, then he started walking down the, the row of stalls, looking inside the stall. You know how you can see through the, the door, the little crack by the door? And she said she began to feel uncomfortable. But yet, because of political correctness and what the media has taught us, we can't speak out that this man shouldn't be in the bathroom. Because he might be in there for an identity reason. Amen. But she said deep inside of her, it began to bother her. And she said, I finally faced my liberalism. Because that man should not blankety-blank be in this women's bathroom. And I should have enough courage to tell him to get out. She said, because after all, it's really more about science than it is about feelings. Whoa. Revelation. Men are born and they look a certain way. <laughs> Women are born and they look a certain way. Now that's the same trouble I had when my sister was born. When I was six, I had brothers, four older, and then my mother brought her home. And I was watching her being her diaper being changed one day, and I started shaking my head. My mother said, what's wrong? I said, there's something wrong with her, Mama. There's something wrong with her. Now, little did I know that it's true. There is something wrong with her, but you understand what I'm saying. See, we don't get upset about evil. We see it going on all the time. Do we get upset about it? Enough that we're going to stand up and say something about it? Enough that we're going to stand up and be counted about it? I don't know. There's a story in the New Testament where Jesus went into the temple and cleaned it up a little bit, didn't he? He was downright ugly. <laughs> he grabbed a he made a whip and started throwing that thing in the air and throwing it at guys and beating their tables and throwing it over. and That was Jesus! Because they were in the temple defiling the temple because of their character and what they, were, what they were doing in there. And yet, what do we do? What do we do? We just let things go on and on and on. We tolerate, tolerate, tolerate. Until you become a liberal-minded person and then your only tolerance is if I think the same way and speak the same way you do. That's the only way you're tolerant. Because you're totally intolerant otherwise. I challenge you to get a red hat that says, Make America Great Again, and walk down the streets of New York City. Boy, they'll love you there. They'll love you there. They'll beat you from one end of that town to the other. It's happening now. People are just wearing a hat. And they're getting beat up for it. Hmm. Crazy, isn't it? It's kind of like the same thing. We beat up somebody because of the color of their skin. What? Are you kidding me? <laughs> this is 2017. Come on now. Come on now. Yep, they do. I don't have to. I don't associate with people. Okay. Go sit over by yourself because I don't associate with you. When you stand up, evil works in interesting ways. And this kind of helps us see that. First of all, it invades us quietly. Before we're aware of it, we've compromised. We go along with the status quo. Don't rock the boat. 
Many Christians shrug their shoulders, allow evil to take root in their own lives. Matthew 5 said, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. If your right eye offends you, pluck it out. In other words, take action. Take action. Don't allow evil things to remain. Even if it takes painful effort to get rid of it, get rid of it. It's like having a skin cancer. You've had several removed, but this particular one is on a different arm. And every day when you look at it, it just, it just looks nicer than the others did. And so when the doctor says, we need to cut that out because the roots of it are going deep into your arm, you, you, you say, you know what? This one looks different than the rest, and I'm kind of getting partial to this one. Let's don't cut this one out. Let's leave this one here. But what do you think is going to happen if you leave that cancer growing on your arm? It's going to show up somewhere else and somewhere else and somewhere else and somewhere else. Because cancer is no respecter of persons, as we're discovering. Amen? No, what you're going to do is you're going to hold that arm up and say, which one you want to cut off and how fast are you going to do it? You want the cancer out of your body. Amen? Out of my body. You don't want to keep it hang on to it. For whatever reason, you want it out of your body. Get rid of it. The same with sin. Get rid of it. But look in verses 10 through 12. I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them and that all the Levites and singers responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. So I rebuked the officials and asked them, Why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them together and stationed them at their posts. And all Judah brought the tithes of grain, new wine and oil into the storerooms. The neglect of the temple is a result of the practice of intermarrying with Ammonites and Moabites. We've got to take care of the house of God. I don't know about you, but if you come in this door, weren't those azaleas beautiful this morning? Woo! I mean, they're in bloom out there, man. If you haven't seen them, go out that way. Big. Aaron planted those several years ago. Man, they are beautiful today. They are beautiful. Bright and red. Oh! Springtime. Amen? Thank you for hay fever. Oh, glory to God. This intermarrying was killing the nation of Israel. Now jump down to verse 13. I put Shelemiah and the priest Zadok the scribe and a Levite named Pedadiah in the charge of the storerooms and made Hanan son of Zakur the son of Mathwaniah their assistant because these men were considered trustworthy. They were made responsible for distributing the supplies to their brothers. And then Nehemiah adds this prayer, Remember me for this, O my God, and do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for, this, for the house of my God and its services and servants. So he picks a representative group to overcome the evil. And he finds these men who are considered trustworthy and he puts them in charge because God admires faithfulness. If you are a faithful servant of God, He loves you. In fact, when you get to heaven, you want Him to hear, you want to hear Him say, Enter into paradise, thou good and faithful servant. I don't know if He'll say thou, but you know, God may just throw the King James at us if He needs to. But you remember how you memorize stuff. 
1 Corinthians 4 says, Servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God, and it is required of a steward that he be found faithful. I hope that faithfulness, and I believe that faithfulness is something that God honors. Some people will preach in churches that are thousands and multi-thousands multi of people. Some preachers will preach in small churches like I've been blessed to do. But it's not about the size. It's about the faithfulness of the people in that building. The people that call that their church, their home. It's about that faithfulness, isn't it? And we need to be faithful people. Because we want to hear God say those great words. Well done, you good and faithful servant. But over the years I've noticed some things about leadership. Four things I want to point out as we close this morning. Number one. A good leader, good quality in a leader is a searching mind. This is a person who is mentally alert, who has curiosity about life, who wants to learn all the time, and who never gives up on learning. If you stop learning, you're dead in the water. Your value goes way down if you quit learning. I don't care what age you are. I don't care how many times you've read the Bible. You may have read the Bible 155,000 times from cover to cover, and you'll still find something on 156,000. And one. You'll find it. You'll find something. If you're truly learning and growing, you'll get it. Second is, I look for a humble heart. Someone whose ego is not on the line all the time. Who must be praised and honored and encouraged in order to get them to do anything at all. Who, who gets dis, disgruntled and turned off if they're not recognized. That's not a leader. A leader is a person that pays the extra price, that goes the extra mile, that will do the extra push-up. We tend to do that at our gym where we all work out together. If we see each other struggling, we, we come alongside that brother or that sister and we tell them, hey, hey, come on, you can do it. I've seen them. They stand right next to each other and they'll say, hey, man, you can do this. Hey, you can do this. Come on. Come on, lift it one more time. Come on, you can do this. It's so fun to watch. I saw a gal pushing a sled. They push sleds down there, Coach. That ain't right now. I don't care what you say. But this gal was pushing a sled, and she was bent over pushing, and she had a lot of weight on that sled. And I thought, man, this ain't right. She shouldn't be having to push that sled. But something in me became a coach, and I just walked over, and I said, Come on, you can do this! Come on! Man, she, she started, her legs started digging into that, into that turf, and she started pushing that thing. I thought, what am I yelling at her for? Who am I? And afterwards, she came and hugged me. She said, thank you. I was about to quit. And you helped me, you helped me make it through. And she's, getting, she's paying somebody to come and tell her to do that. Yes, we are. Because you see, we all need that encouragement, don't we? We all need it. And that's what a good, a good leader has a humble heart. And he doesn't need to be patted on the back all the time. He just needs to get out and do, do the job that God's called him to do. And do it with love and do it in humbly. Thirdly, there's an evident gift. In other words, God's people are gifted people. And there's an evident gift in that person's life. And you can see it. That's why you follow them. There's not one member of the body of Christ who has not been equipped by the Holy Spirit with a special ability to do something. And I know you might say, well, I don't have any spiritual gifts. Yes, you do. The reason you don't have them is you don't exercise them. Because you're not doing enough. 
You're still sitting on the sideline. Get off the sideline and you'll find the gift. You'll find it. You'll find it. I asked Brad and, and uh, uh, Bryant, I said, so when you've got a corner, cornerback and you're trying to teach him how to cover somebody who's faster and taller and better, what do you do? They said, we pray. No, they said, they have to teach him techniques on how to help them stay up with a player like that. You see, they've got to learn how to twist their hips just right. They've got to learn at what time to do that. They've got to learn when, they've got to gauge the man's speed. They've got to know when to hit him and slow him down. You see what I'm saying? There's techniques you can learn. I'd say you jump on him and hold on to him and let him carry you down the field. But then, that, you know, I'd probably get a flag for that. But that evident gift, we've all got them. And God can use you if you'll let Him. Then the fourth thing I've noticed about leadership is that there's a faithful spirit. There there are somebody who will not quit. Oh, they may get discouraged. Oh, they may get down. But they don't quit. That's what we need in leadership. Amen? We need somebody who won't quit. Men, this is what your wives and your children need in your house, is a man who won't quit. A man who will stand for God. A man who will be for God. A man who will do all that God's called him to do. That's what they need in your house, men. Get up and be that. Stand up and be that. Produce that. Do it. And let God... Watch what God does for you. Watch how much better your marriage is, men, if you'll lead in that way. Now, I'm not saying overlord. I'm saying lead. You want her to obey you? Then you learn to obey her. You want her to serve you? Then you learn to serve her. In fact, you outserve her. Outserve her. Now, some of them are takers in life, right? Anybody, anybody understand what I'm saying about a taker and a giver in life? Plenty of them could be takers, man. They say, you going to give? I'm going to take all you're going to give me. Come on, man. What you hope then is as you're giving, they learn to give. And you try to outgive each other. Now, that's awesome when that kind of relationship's going on. But it's marvelous to see that even though Nehemiah had left and he came back, he still had great leadership. And the people responded to his leadership. And though the walls were broken down, look what God did. God brought through the, through the king of Persia the supplies to rebuild the wall. Fifty-two days they rebuilt it. They come in. He puts them all together. They work together. They get it done. He leaves. He comes back. And he has to clean the house. Sometimes we've got to clean house, don't we? Sometimes we've got a clean house. Psalm 139, one of my favorites, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there's any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Remember Nehemiah's prayer. Remember me for this, O my God, and do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. Compromise. You ever heard the story of 17 inches? An old coach, coach baseball, was speaking at a coach's clinic. Just full of coaches. He walked out to speak and he had a home plate hanging around his neck with the point up toward his chin. And everybody looked at him and thought, that's kind of a goofy illustration to use, but he carries it out. He starts talking. Doesn't even mention that he's got this thing around his neck. Then he asked a question. He said, uh, every good pitcher learns to pitch to within 17 inches. He said, that's the distance between this side of the plate and that side of the plate is 17 inches. He said, you can get in to be a pro baseball pitcher, and if you can't pitch the ball 
in between 17 inches, he said, you either don't make the pros or you learn to throw it within 17 inches. He said, now, if we let the world today tell us that 17 inches is unfair, well, just for that picture, we'll move it out an inch. So when the batter comes up, he's got to play with an extra inch because that's what the umpire can call for strike for that particular pitcher only because, you know, he needs a little extra help. No, you pin him into the 17 inches, don't you? And so he had, he said, those of you that are little league coaches, raise your hand. Some of them did. He said, how, how far is the plate? They said, 17 inches. He said, high school, 17 inches. Pro, 17 inches. College, 17 inches. He said, that's the problem with our world today is that we've compromised the 17 inches. He said, when your daughters go out on a date, you don't expect them to come home pure anymore, do you? When mamas will put a bowl of condoms by her bed because I'd rather have them have sex in my house than in an old sleazy motel somewhere. When they'll send them to prom, just ask Corey if it's in true, they'll send them to prom. He'll show up in the limousine to take them on their prom, prom night, right? They've got a, they've got a whole um, cooler full of drinks out there. And so a good limo driver goes over and opens the lid to make sure there's not anything beyond pop in that, in that uh, cooler, only to open it up and find out it's loaded with beer. And that limo driver says, not in my limousine, you're not. Because you see, still in Oklahoma, underage drinking is against the law. And yet those parents said, that's why we rented the limo, is for you to drive them around so they could drink in your limo. Who's going to get in trouble and thrown in jail and fined? The limo driver? Hmm. Well, let's move it. Let's, let's, don't, let's don't go 17 inches. Let's move it. Let's move it. Well, I know they're going to do that anyway, so let's go ahead and provide it for them. What about raising the standard and say you shouldn't do this at all? Because God said so. Well, but hey, he's an old God. He's not the God that I... Well, yeah, he's, nothing's changed. The Word of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So are you going to compromise your 17 inches on a home plate? <laughs> Small thing. Well, by the way, the coach then, in it, to close his speech out, he turned the home plate around. And on the back side of the home plate, it's all black. It's all black. All of them are that way. It's all black. And he said, here's the problem. When we compromise 17 inches, he said, it makes everything dark. And everything can be evil. And everything can be sin. He said, so when you compromise, bad things happen. But when we stay within the 17 inches, only good things can happen. So I want to challenge you today. Have you begun to compromise in your life? Have you said, oh, I can drink this and it won't affect anybody else? Oh, I can split up with this person and it won't affect anybody else. After all, it's all my life. I can take these drugs. It doesn't affect anybody. It only hurts me. It doesn't hurt anybody else. And you know as well as I do, it's like dropping a rock in the water and it has ripple effects that goes out and everybody's affected. Because if you're drinking and driving, I'm affected. If you're drugs and driving, I'm affected. The guy that runs over people and kills people, and then he's sitting on the—he's handcuffed and sitting on the curb, looking, staring, glassy-eyed off into the future, because he has no idea what he just did. 
And that's his third or fourth DUI that he's got. Father, I ask you this morning, would we not be compromising people? Would we stay within the confines of what you've called us to do? You've called us to live holy lives, pure lives. And time after time after time, we compromise. Time after time after time, we try to expand the 17 inches to make it fit what we need it to fit so that we feel better about ourselves. The greatest feeling we can ever have is when we're in obedience to you. So, Father, would there be somebody here today that's tired of compromising and they're ready to make you the master and the Lord of their life? Would they do it today in Jesus' name? Amen. Sing together a great song, and if God's tugging at your heart to respond, would you this morning?